January is Human Trafficking Prevention Month. A live look now at SeaTac Airport, where a new campaign designed to end human trafficking is giving victims a voice. It's part of Human Trafficking Prevention Month. Posters and signs with the words, you are not alone, will be visible in airports, marine ports, and other traffic hubs nationwide. We really wanted to um, focus on the survivor or the person experiencing a trafficking situation so they could self-identify and seek help, you know, because most people don't know they're being trafficked. This week on Mindful Headlines, I speak with Rebecca Covington. She works at BEST, which is an acronym for Businesses Ending Slavery and Trafficking. It's a nonprofit organization in Western Washington, and Rebecca is also a survivor. So before I know it, it's like, okay, we're going to have you go, you know, on the state with someone. And I get driven up to Aurora with a bunch of other girls and dropped off on the street. Rebecca shares her story of growing up in Federal Way and then becoming a victim of sex trafficking and the horrific ordeal that got her out of the lifestyle. And now she's helping save other victims. Did you know there are hundreds of kids getting exploited each year in our area? Studies have shown more than 500 kids each year are forced into prostitution just in King County, some as young as 11 years old. Trafficking happens a lot of times locally. Rebecca has some ideas of how all of us can help because it is happening all around us. And there's also a push to hold some legitimate businesses accountable if it's happening under their nose. So if you're a business owner, this podcast may offer some new insight. Rebecca, thanks for being a part of the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Will you share a little bit about your story? Yeah, you know, my story is the reason I do the work that I do currently at best. Um, I was, you know, kind of like the girl next door. Growing up, I played basketball, I played different sports. I was really involved in my community. And uh, something traumatic happened to me, you know, around my junior year. And so moving into my senior year, I kind of started acting out. Uh, My parents didn't, you know, agree with my behaviors. And they told me um, that I needed to move out, um, you know, after I graduated. So they kicked me out of the house about, you know, a couple days after, you know, I graduated. I was working part-time at at a uh, local, at a local shop. And, and that wasn't really gonna sustain me to, you know, find a place to stay or anything. So I started couch surfing and staying on, you know, at friends' houses. And I had a friend that I had known since I was in elementary school and she was working at a movie theater and she had a guy approach her and he started kind of manipulating her and lying to her about what he was doing and pretending to be her boyfriend and kind of brought her into the whole um, trafficking, you know, situation. And so a couple of weeks later, she reached out to me. I think he was having her do some recruiting. And so um, he had me meet up with them. And then of course I was told these lies about what they were doing. You know, we have a distribution company and we can have you help and you can move in since you don't have anywhere to stay. You know, I was kind of in a vulnerable situation and that's what traffickers really, really play on, you know, just to get whatever need, whatever need that you don't have met, they try to come in and say, well, I can do that for you and I can be that for you. And so I moved in with them and, you know, within a couple of weeks, it was kind of like, well, you need to pull your weight around here. You know, the distribution company didn't exist. There wasn't anything like that. Um, They started bringing up you know, an escort service, you know, we also have this other business that you can do. And, um, you know, you don't have to have sex with anyone, you just kind of meet up with guys. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want to do that. But you know, kind of pressured into it. And so before I know it, it's like, okay, we're gonna have you go, 
you know, on the state with someone and I get driven up to Aurora with a bunch of other girls and dropped off on the street. And so that was kind of my first experience, you know, being trafficked. And I didn't even know what was really happening to me. Um, and over the course of a two-year period, I was trafficked over state lines from Texas to Nevada, just seeing, you know, so much abuse. It's a, it's a really dangerous kind of lifestyle. You know, they glorify it and all the money you're making. And the reality is that you're not keeping anything. You know, I never had a dollar to my name. So if I tried to leave, and there were so many times that I tried to leave that situation, um, I didn't really have anywhere to go. Back then, you know, 17 years ago, there weren't a lot of resources. Every time I would try to leave, I realized, you know, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I would end up going back or being manipulated to going back, you know, having threats against my family or my life. And so it took me two years to get out of that situation. And it took me getting run over by a car. Wow. Um, and ending up in the hospital in the emergency room um, to get out. You know, I remember praying that morning and just saying like, God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this. I can't do it myself. They just keep finding me. Um, and I woke up in the emergency room in, in Las Vegas and my foot was broken, like just completely, you know, they had run over my foot and my nose and I had, you know, my eyes and, um, I was in pretty bad shape. And so I just remember looking down at my foot and just thinking, wow, you know, I'm of no use to my trafficker anymore. I can't walk. I can't work. So that's kind of what got me out. I ended up flying back to Washington state and, actually, you know, getting in trouble for, I wouldn't tell on my trafficker because I was too scared. You know, they threaten you saying, you know, don't, don't say anything. So I ended up having to do, you know, house arrest for like three months. How um, old were you? I was, uh, it, this was from 18 to 20. Okay. Yeah. So I ended up doing that. And then I had called my parents and I just told them the truth. You know, I was like, this is what's happening. And my dad just like broke down crying. And he was like, I had no idea that when we kicked you out of the house, that something like this could happen. So you grew up in federal way. I think there's a misconception that human trafficking and sex trafficking in particular are things that happen to women in other countries. Do you think people realize that it's happening right here in our own communities? You know, a lot of times people don't because it's not something in your community. Let's see, let's say you live in Bellevue or even Federal Way. It's not something you see just on your daily life while you're driving to work typically or just at home in your neighborhood. But, you know, there's so many families where their kids go missing. And a lot of times trafficking is playing a part in that. You know, once they start digging into how that person went missing or what was going on or who they were talking to online and things like that. And yeah, the reality is that trafficking happens a lot of times locally. It's really a big reason I wanted to have you as part of the podcast. It was something that struck me when we were doing your story on King Five News. Like you said, we kind of put our blinders on and we don't want to accept that this is happening right here. I've had people talk to me and make comments like I see so many girls and, you know, they're in lingerie up on Aurora and, you know, I've counted like 10 of them or something. And, you know, that opens up a conversation for me to be able to talk to them and say, you know, most of the women, if not all of them up there are being trafficked, you know, the streets are a dangerous place. So they're not going to be out there by themselves. You know, it's kind of like the drug game, you know, it's, it's someone's block. So these women are out there being forced to do what they're doing. So we've got to have some sort of compassion for these women, you know, and we're lucky in King County specifically, you know, where we are, where we have 
you know, so many nonprofits who do like direct outreach and street outreach to these women because we know what's going on. Tell me about <clears throat> BEST, what BEST stands for and how it came to fruition. Yeah, so BEST started Businesses Ending Slavery and Trafficking about 13 years ago. Dr. Mar Bretman, uh, she started a community, you know, conversation about what's needed, you know, within our communities. We don't want to duplicate services. We want to start a nonprofit that's, you know, um, progressing the anti-trafficking movement. <clears throat> like, what is needed? And so they realized that the private sector needed to be reached. And so we do a lot of trainings for the private sector and governmental sectors. So aviation, you know, maritime, hospitality industry, insurance companies, you know, transit, you name it. We have industry specific trainings that we provide so people can really see like what trafficking looks like within that specific industry, you know, being able to see an example of, oh, this is what it looks like in maritime, or this is what it looks like in an airport setting. So that whether it's the public or an employee watching these trainings, they can understand what these red flags might look like um, and those types of things. And we also do awareness building. And so one of the things that we were able to do this year, we got Washington State funding. We were able to do the Not Alone campaign. Yes, I want to ask you about that. This is how I heard your name initially. And it was this campaign that Best was doing, and it's called You Are Not Alone. And I know there's posters now up at SeaTac and other places around the community. So tell me about the campaign and why that slogan, You Are Not Alone. Yeah, so <clears throat> the reason I created this campaign really is during the time I was trafficked, like I said, there weren't really any resources. I didn't know who to reach out to. Um, besides family, you know, and I was kind of too ashamed to do that because of what was happening to me. And so if I would have seen something like, you know, you are not alone, there is a way out, even just those words, you know, we were able to meet with um, survivors, you know, people who had experienced trafficking and found their way out and meet with them and really say like, hey, what messaging would you want to see? You know, what visuals would you want to see that would help you you know, want to access some help, want to talk to someone or possibly, you know, be able to get out of the situation you're in. And so we're able to create these posters, you know, like if I, I was trafficked through an airport, you know, through on, you know, on a bus or these different places where people might frequent, if they were to see this poster and just hear the words, you know, you're not alone because it's so isolating, you know, traffickers isolate their victims they don't want you to really talk to anyone else. They don't want you to be in contact with their with your family because if you have another safety net besides them, then they're not going to be the only one providing, you know, and meeting your needs. And they want to be that so they can control you. I feel like I've seen those types of posters at airports before, but what's different about this campaign? Is it just easier to see? Are they bigger? You know, um, and and what makes it more effective? You think? Yeah, there's been so many different campaigns, which is amazing, you know, and it's more geared towards the public. So see something, say something, you know, be able to help someone in that situation. And that's so needed. But we really wanted to um, focus on the survivor or the person experiencing a trafficking situation so they could self-identify and seek help, you know, because most people don't know they're being trafficked. So you can't be like, hey, are you being trafficked, you know, well, no, you know, not, that's not happening to me. I don't even know what that, I wouldn't have known what that even meant. So just having those posters up and someone seeing a visual of, 
you know, wow, there's all, all these advocates in this photo who, you know, they've experienced something that I've experienced and they're willing to help. You know, there is someone there so they can, you know, write down the human trafficking hotline number and they directly connect someone to an advocate in their area who can meet up with them and, and just start that conversation and say, are you okay? You know, what happened to you? So let me ask you, what took you from being a victim of sex trafficking and then maybe fill in the gap for me, but to now where you're involved with the movement to end human trafficking? Yeah. So when I got out of that life, I actually ended up going to beauty school. And so I got a job, you know, at a, at a big, at a, a big salon out in Seattle um, was able to do like an extended training and all of that. And it really just built my confidence. And I ended up doing hair for probably about seven years until I just realized, you know, there's more I want to do. You know, I know I've always lived this life of like, I want to help people. And so it looked like making people beautiful and building their confidence through doing hair. And then I just wanted something more. So I decided to go back to school and I went to a community college. You know, I had to start back with the basics. It'd been so long since I'd been, you know, out of school. I did graduate from high school. Um, and then I ended up getting into the University of Washington, Seattle. And so I graduated there with a communication and business degree. And, you know, my senior year, I started looking for an internship. I'm like, okay, what, what, am, what kind of work do I want to do with this? And it started to become clear to me that, okay, I have a criminal record. So there's a lot of jobs that actually aren't going to hire me, you know, and it, I felt all these like feelings of shame and like, what am I doing this for? And you know, and I uh, actually ended up reaching out to a friend who connected me with an internship with the Superior Court in their human trafficking division. So I did a nine month internship along with school and being a mother and working, paying my way through school. Um, it was a lot of work, but I really knew I wanted to uh, just see a change and do something different. And so I just got thrown into the work and just met all of the stakeholders throughout, you know, Washington State and King County and um, ended up getting uh, contracted for a job while I was in school and they ended up hiring me. And then I've worked for some nonprofits uh, since, and now I'm doing the work with BEST. So um, that's kind of what threw me into this trajectory. And it's been so much healing in the process too. What are the signs that people should be looking for, not only for themselves, but also for their loved ones, because that is also a component of it, right? Yeah. So, you know, elements of control is a huge one. So a lot of times traffickers will hold someone's ID, someone's passport or their phone and not give them access to that. Um, it could be someone speaking for you. You know, if I'm with a trafficker or, you know, other women who are being trafficked and I'm not allowed to speak and you're trying to ask me a question and someone continuously speaks for me and you say, hey, you know, can I talk to you a minute? Can I pull you away from, you know, this person and just have a conversation with you? And that's not allowed that's absolutely a red flag too. You should be able to talk to an individual, you know, someone should be able to have that autonomy over themselves to have a conversation with whoever they want. Um, you know, their answers could seem scripted or rehearsed, you know, someone, you know, you're asking someone, where are you going? Or, you know, the more you dig into <clears throat> just speaking with someone and it just sounds like, you know, someone's told them what to say, basically, you know, you can kind of tell, you know, and just say like, this isn't really adding up. Um, it could be a person that's like overly fearful or paranoid, you know, of their surroundings, um, because, you know, they're afraid of their trafficker. 
Um, it could be abuse or injury, you know, physical harm is actually happening. And also confusion, you know, a person can be confused about their surroundings. Um, you know, a trafficker could, you know, say, fly here, meet me here. And, you know, this person may not even know really where they're going or have all the information. So that confusion can be um, definitely an element too. Do you find yourself having these types of conversations or seeing these kinds of warning signs when you're out in the community? I know you do specific work with BEST trying to engage with victims, but I think it can be a daunting conversation or even something like a little bit daunting for people to watch out for if you don't know what you're looking for. But when I was looking at the research prior to us talking, I was just kind of stunned by some things. Um, 38% of victims travel by plane, 63 by public transit. I mean, those numbers are relatively high. And then I, I noted too that there's hundreds of kids that are victims of human trafficking, even in King County alone. Why are we not yeah. talking about it more? Yeah, I think so many times we're so wrapped up in ourselves and our daily lives. You know, when I leave my house and drive to work, I'm, you know, paying attention to just what I'm doing or when I'm, you know, walking downtown, like how many times do we look up and just, or at an airport and just pay attention to our surroundings or say hello to the person next to us. You know, it can just be those little things of just paying attention you know, and looking up and being present, you know, where you're at. And that's really how you can see some of these red flags. Will you talk to me a little bit about um, your mental health um, during, during that time? And then also how that has changed. There's so much trauma that happens coming out of that life. You know, you see a lot of abuse, a lot of buyer harm. So when I was able to exit, you know, I had my own apartment. I didn't realize that I had extreme PTSD and I didn't have access to a counselor, really anyone to talk to about it. I just took me probably 10 years to really heal from that. So, you know, I would go into my house and, you know, make sure the door was locked, go into my room when I slept at night, lock that door. Sometimes I would even sleep in the bathroom because I was just scared for some reason, you know, that someone might come in and do something to me. And it was just that PTSD you know, I'd be, I got hit by a car. So I would be driving down the street and this probably went on for about three years. And I just thought there was something completely wrong with me, you know, and, and I'd be driving and just think, oh my gosh, did I hit someone or, or something? And which is, it seems like a crazy thought, but I would pull my car over, get out of my car and check underneath my car just to see if I hit someone. And I didn't realize that that was just the PTSD from what had happened to me. And so I wish back then that I would have had someone to, to help, you know, heal, uh, you know, me and just talk to me about what had happened to me so I could recognize those things because it took me about 10 years and really actually like getting into this work before, you know, I realized what that was and then I could put a name to it. And it's like, no, I'm not crazy. If you're willing to share, are there any things that you're still dealing with that you still are working on? Um, I would say the biggest thing is it definitely can, you know, affect your relationships. Anytime someone says something to you that may feel that may make you feel less than, you know, and maybe that person's talking to you and may not be meaning that at all. But for some reason, a lot of times I'll take that as, oh, they're putting me down or, oh, I'll get into this mode of like, I'm not enough or something. A lot of that stems from, you know, your trafficker telling you you're not enough. You're never going to be successful in a relationship. No man's ever going to want you. 
So if I get into an argument or a fight, a lot of times, you know, I'm married now. And so I've, I've been able to work through a lot of that and have done counseling and those things. But I think that is something that is just going to take work, you know, and like building up, continuously building up my self-esteem and like knowing I am worth it and I am enough and I am confident and I know who I am. It's just a continuous process. You said you're a mother. And so I wanted to get your insight on what maybe would have changed the circumstances for you early on, whether it was professional help, whether it was just better um, familial help or, or better friendships, because I think a lot of parents right now, especially parents of middle school kids and high school kids, they're worried about the mental health of their children. We're still in a pandemic. It's been a really tough couple of years. Yeah. I think one of the things, you know, there was a girl that I went to high school with and I remember she was telling me about how she was making all this money. And there was this guy who was like, she wanted to date and it, it all now I know she was being groomed to be trafficked, you know, and back then the only thing I knew about prostitution or trafficking was like pretty women. That's like the only thing I'd seen that resembled any of this. And so I think, you know, education from a young age, whether it's, you know, integrated into sex ed or in a health class, I think it's so important, you know, just teaching kids about, um, about this basically so that they know what to identify, you know, what is grooming, you know, what is self-love getting children a mentor we have parents, but children don't always listen to parents. So getting kids involved, we have organizations in our community like Washington Trafficking Prevention out in Tacoma and the Lantern Project in Seattle that actually does education in schools. And so they're teaching, you know, these kids about this and, and just building their self-esteem. So, you know, in hopes that something like this doesn't happen to them. Um, I think education, you know, like I said, is just, it's so important. Understanding that trafficking can happen to anyone, you know, although it does disproportionately affect marginalized communities, you know, LGBTQ youth, runaway youth, um, people experiencing homelessness, um, the indigenous community, you know, black and brown girls um, are really disproportionately affected by this crime, but anyone can be affected. So it's important for you know, parents to understand this and get educated. It's important for, you know, our children to be educated, you know, having that upstream intervention, just understanding what trafficking is, you know, you hear that term and a lot of people don't even know what it is. You know, it wasn't federally defined until 2000 with the uh, TVPA Act, you know, and it's been amended many times after to where even now, businesses can be held liable for a known facilitator. So that's one of the most important things we want to go in and train these employees and businesses because they can be held liable. And it's a huge safety issue too. You want the employees and the customers to be safe and it can affect businesses, brand and public perception. Trafficking can affect, you know, like everything and everyone on so many levels. So you're saying that if say I owned a business and one of my employees was engaged in some sort of human trafficking that perhaps I could be held liable because this is happening under my nose. Absolutely. You know, if you were at a hotel and you were a front desk person who was high-fiving the trafficker, you know, these things have happened um, and allowing that to happen and that employee did nothing about it. Um, then that survivor, that victim of trafficking, you know, once they get out, they can pursue legal action, not only against the trafficker, 
but against the business for being a known facilitator as well. And there's so many cases that have settled, you know, out of court and are pending currently. I think that speaks to the idea that this is a community problem and it's a community issue that we all have to be aware of. And it's not just fend for yourself. You're the one that got yourself into the situation because I think that a lot of people can have that attitude and that just hurts all of us. Absolutely. I think we can all do our part. You know, people are like, well, what can I do to help? I'm like, well, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, someone that's really busy and works a lot. They could take one of their weekend days and go volunteer. You know, you could do street outreach with an organization. So that places you in a position where, you know, you see what's going on and it gives you more empathy to the situation. You know, there's organizations like Rotary. There's a sex trafficking, uh, against sex, sex trafficking Rotary out here. You know, people can, you can go fill backpacks. You know, I did that recently and just filled it with like all the needs that someone might, um, you know, need. And so they're handing out those backpacks to local organizations so they can give that to some of their participants. Just getting involved in any way, I think just educating yourself basically, you know, so if you ever do come in contact with someone who may be experiencing a trafficking situation, like not having that mindset of, I need to save them, but more of just asking them, you know, are you okay? Understanding what may be happening. You're planting a seed just by talking to that person and showing them that they're human and that somebody cares. Isn't it interesting that it can be such a simple question and it can be so powerful. And I don't think we do that enough in all aspects. I mean, not just with human trafficking, we can talk about a slew of different issues where we just don't ask like, how are you doing? And are you okay? Or just how are you? Or saying hi to a stranger. Yeah. Even with the pandemic, you know, people have been left more vulnerable, especially children. They don't have the safety net of their school. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been tough. You know, I think we've all been so isolated, you know, I'm working from home right now. So when I am out and someone, you know, even says, how are you, how are you doing? Um, It feels good, you know? So imagine how it could feel to someone that needs to hear that. Absolutely. Rebecca, thank you for being a part of the podcast. Yes. Thank you for having me. Once again, that was Rebecca Covington. She's the corporate relations manager for BEST, a nonprofit battling human trafficking. Some of the resources Rebecca mentioned and other ways you can help end trafficking are listed in our show notes. I'm Jessica Janner Castro, and you've been listening to Mindful Headlines. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes and please share with your friends and family. I'll see you next time.